And we're live, and you're drinking. Yeah, uh, it's just me uh, staying up, you know, like it's uh, 3 a.m. and no, uh, no sunrise at all. So I, I am I'm running on fumes, exciting fumes. So I'm here. Uh, great to have, you know, a lovely conversation with you this fine morning. Well, it is morning for me, but uh, Craig, how have you been? <laughs> I've been good. I can't believe it's 2021. I can't believe it is 23rd of February 2021. When did we last talk? Mm. It was six months ago or something, wasn't it, it? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was. Yeah, it was like half a year ago. And you know, uh, we made this joke about like the first time you brought me up. It was pretty weird too. I know you felt bad about bringing me in uh, for my time around there because it's three a.m. Yeah. Uh, for me, but come on, Craig. I, I I know you're a great guy, so I'd be happy to stay up for you. Uh, just to talk about anything, everything related to podcasting on what I'm working on, on what's been capturing your attention. So, uh, here I am after half a year coming into 2021. Yeah. Genuine question. How are things on your end from 2021? You know, it's, I, is I, it different from, is it different? Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very different because, uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel apparently in the uk now right. we're, we're absolutely although i hate to say it about this government we're absolutely smashing the whole vaccine thing um thing things are doing pretty well they've announced today that it looks like we're going to be out of lockdown by uh june so com- nice. completely out of it so so things are a little bit different to be honest i was pretty much locked down completely for the majority of last year and you kind of get used to it you just right you, you just it, what i did in that environment was just turn on creation mode and made everything i just sat in my bedroom for 14 hours a day making things constantly and now it's looking like maybe in june that all of that's going to be gone it's going to be a bit strange because all, all i've done is been in these for four walls for the majority of that so yeah it's going to be a bit weird in the uk what about you over your way well uh we are getting reports of the vaccine coming in so the government on our end they've shared like the phases where it's happening it's like you know the following people people will get it first and then you know for uh, for my family that's great news so we have a lot of us uh who are applying to get vaccinated, which is pretty great. So in the next few months, uh, for May onwards, and it will be for people who are aged 18 and above. So that means, you know, May until February next year mm. will be ample time for people to get vaccinations, uh, at least for the young and healthy. So of course the frontliners and uh, the ones who are most at risk will be getting it in the next few months. So, you know, like, just like you said, um, light at the end of the tunnel, um, I have been, I would say caged <laughs> within the house, uh, trying to build things, trying to build shows, helping clients, etc. But I feel like replacing a lot of my usual routines, being outside, seeing people going about and all these like outside activities and replacing that with work or creating things in front of a screen. Yeah. I don't think it's a great replacement. I feel like it's a band-aid replacement because you can only do so much uh, 
for your own human self, for your own uh, character when you want to do something in front of a screen. But you need to do something beyond 14 hours a day within those bedrooms, like within the bedroom, within like in, in front of the screen, there's only so much you can do. And I, I know that you are a very, uh, you have amazing perseverance when it comes to creating something because you, you get things done like all the time, like all day, every day. I know you're a trooper when it comes to that. Uh, but uh, this is going to be pretty interesting to see come June. Maybe you won't create as much stuff from next 14 hours a day, but are you going to stick to that routine or, you know, are you going to slowly but surely get back to uh, a routine with coming back in? I know you do um, jujitsu. I know you do a lot of like martial arts, et cetera. So you're coming back to that as well. Yeah. As as soon as I can go back to jujitsu, I'm definitely going to be back at that. So that's going to change. I'm going to have maybe one, two or three hours on a night where, I'm not doing the stuff that I'm doing now. So I mm. am by necessity going to have to cut some stuff. I mean, I, I say right. I'm sat in front of a computer for 14 hours a day. I am slightly exaggerating. I am still exercising. I'm still <laughs> going out on walks, you know. I'm probably fitter than I've ever been right now. Oh. Um, so I have been trying not to sit in front of the computer as much, but I will definitely be pr- be producing less in some way because there will be that time on an evening where I go out. And I used to do jiu-jitsu six times a week on an evening. That used to take up my evening from 5.30 till 9.30 every night or something like that. So it, it will change. It will change things for me. And I'm trying it at the minute just to squeeze out all that last all that last chance I'll probably get to to be as productive as I am with um, with all the kinds of stuff that I'm doing. I'm doing... Uh, an atomic essay ship 30 for 30 at the minute i'm making daily visuals i'm doing podcasts blah 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 so there will be something that gives but i'm trying to get the book finished before that gives <laughs> but you know we'll see man i i'm really envious of your energy in this because you have your ship 30 for 30 you have the podcast you have the daily visual and you have a book uh or, you know coming up where do you get the energy from like despite the pandemic, despite the lockdown, despite all the craziness in the world, what drives you to, to despite all of that, to sit in front of the screen and be like, okay, time to build? Because it's the thing I do. I enjoy cre- <laughs> I enjoy creating things. Who doesn't enjoy creating things? It makes you feel amazing. So it, it mm. is is purely just because I enjoy creating things. And you make one thing, you've got a ton of energy. And then it gives you five ideas to go create another thing. And then you create the other thing and it gives you a ton of energy to do something else. And it's just like, you know, when you were, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something like that. Mm. And you were up at 2 or 3 a.m. making something for nothing. It could have been anything, you know, updating your MySpace page or whatever. That would (laughs) would have been my 12 or 13, maybe not yours. Uh, And you're tinkering with all this CSS on your MySpace page and it's 3 a.m. for no reason whatsoever. That's the energy. That's It's the 3 a.m. MySpace CSS energy that you you have constantly when you're creating stuff. It's, it, it's, the, it's the old, I guess, somewhat of a cliche now that action begets action. And, you, you know, as soon as you, as soon as you generate action, as soon as you generate momentum, you want to keep going with it. So it's it's the only the only reason I can do the ship thirty for thirty 
is because I'm doing the daily visuals as well. If I didn't have one or the other, I wouldn't be able to tack it on to the end of something else. Do you know what I mean? So right. you, get, you get to a point where it isn't really, it's an extra 15 or 20 minutes to do the, the essay on top of the visual. It looks like it's way more than that, but it isn't because I'm already in the mind space or I've made a visual. So I make the essay from the visual or I'm already, you know, thinking about the same ideas. I'm in the same creation space, the same mind space. So it isn't difficult for me to flip between them. So whether it is energy or not, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just being in the right mind space. And I do thrive at night. It's when I prefer to work anyway. So it's 7 p.m. here now. But uh, this is when I enjoy working, really. It is that thing of just doing something. And I, I know that's like all I ever say, but it is. <laughs> uh, when you overthink it, when you sit there procrastinating, you get nothing done and that breeds more inaction and you feel bad mm. and then you don't want to start something, it breeds more inaction. That's what works for me anyway. Is the same for you? It is, it is. And despite the amount of work that one can do, when you even have a sliver or a moment where inaction comes into play, that that can that can potentially break it. I, I've had a lot of moments where I would be, you know, always spending time in front of the screen, actually building podcasts, editing it, recording it, actually exploring it, trying to build all these narratives, etc. And there'll be days where I'll just turn off. And that's not always a great day. And it could be in a number of factors, like maybe not enough rest or I'm just sick or I just don't want to do anything or I just don't want to talk to people. And it does happen. But those all make up and result in, in action. And inaction can build upon itself just as action can do the same. So yeah. I've had days where I would have absolutely nothing done. And I have something what I call a chaos reset button, which is pretty, pretty weird. It's just... <laughs> basically a page in my notes, which is a list of things that have worked for me before a way to reset my own like mindset, my own, my own emotions. How can I, how, how can I face myself, right? What are the questions I should be asking to face my emotions and how can I articulate them? And then from there, how can I move forward with those? Uh, not that I'm trying to like destroy them or anything like that. I'm, it's just that by recognizing that they are there, what can I do to help create small moments, small pieces of a momentum that will build upon itself over time, just yeah. like action would. And they would have this snowball effect that will get me back into the groove of creating something uh, over time. That's how I would do it. And I think that's how I've been doing it since I was young as well. Well, your, your version of that is working on your MySpace page. Um, I, I never had a MySpace page, but although my, I've seen my brother like, <laughs> work on his uh my equivalent is being on forums building like yeah. making signatures for people using photoshop yeah, so i would yeah, do like those like photoshop graphics tutorials i did that so too. yeah yeah uh, and i i do and like i did that for like a couple of years and ended up doing like requests for other people so it was pretty cool when people are requesting for sigs from you so i felt that i was <laughs> big being part of this this amazing community even though it was like an anonymous 12 year old it was pretty strange experience for me or like 11 year old. Uh, but yeah, that's what sparks the, the want or the need, at least one part of it, the want to create something. 
is the the moment where it becomes celebrated. So sometimes a lot of the things that are, get created, I'm not sure what's your relationship with that because for me, seeing something that I create become celebrated, encouraged or shared with other people or even liked and maybe even discussed in a certain way is feel for me because it is another way of saying I have this gift to give to people and they are accepting it in its own purest form. And that is amazing in itself. And I think that's part of the essence of what a content creator or, or creative or whatever, whatever these names are popping up these days, that emotion, that need to gift something is really, really important. And it's something that we have to cultivate from a young age. It's a habit they have to build. It's a system that we have to create from the ground up. It's an emerging thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know whether things being liked is really a fuel for me. Mm. Um, I, I, I was, who was I talking to this about? I can't remember, but I was talking to somebody about this, you know, what, what keeps you making things. And it, for, for me, it's purely, it isn't an ego thing at all. And I, and I know where you're coming from. It might not be an ego thing, um, mm. but it isn't about the likes and it isn't the way um, that, that people uh, look at the things that I do or any of that kind of thing. It purely for me is the act of creation. It's, it's making something and then putting it out. It, it is the moment where it goes from my hands to somebody else's and maybe having it recognized or liked or something like that it is part of that because then you know, it's not yours anymore. It takes on a life of its own, yeah. but it isn't about the, the likes or, or the retweets or, or whatever it is, or even being noticed for me is purely the MySpace at 3am CSS thing. It is just making it and being in the moment because I do so many things, particularly in, in my day job when I'm running the agency, I spend so much of my time not making something. I, you know, I'm, I'm planning something or I'm in a meeting with a client or I'm doing a proposal for a new job and I love doing all that, but it isn't creation and you don't get the same vibe from it. So when I get the chance, and it's why I fill up my time doing so many of them, when I get my chance to do something for me, that's purely for me, I don't give a shit who sees it. And yeah. when I started the unobvious account, the visuals thing, I had zero followers and it was never about anybody seeing anything that I did. It was purely for me. It was, it was design meditations that I called it. And I think a lot of people are kind of starting to feel like that. I keep hearing the word creator economy popping up. Ah. And I'd never heard that term until fairly recently. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that's it. Making, making things for you and then maybe selling them on the other end. But really it's for you first, right? Yeah, it's that there's that internal economy you have to satisfy first, right? Do you want to spend your own time to create something fulfilling and there's a market of one and that is yourself first are you creating something that satisfies you and the creator economy on a macro scale is when you can actually bring that out to people who are willing to trade a certain currency in, in time it could be attention it could be time uh, but the most autonomous the atomic unit within an economy such as this is energy right i want to spend energy to spend time to understand what you're doing I want to spend energy to retweet what you're doing or 
spend energy to actually dedicate some of my hard earned cash to pay for your product, right? And a creator economy or the creator's economy rather is a space or a future or, or a, shall we say an environment where creators are rewarded for the things that fulfill them or the things that they create, uh, what that which reflects their most creative selves, their character. I think that's, I mean, we're pretty much there already, but it's more about the scale of that creator's economy that's going to pop up, like with the rise of Substack and or our paid paid membership platforms, or when it comes to podcasting, what are the different ways that you can, you know, make money of a podcasting? If it's something that you love, if what you create is <clears throat> conversations with people, how can you make money off of that? And that's not the, that's not the way, the way I'm saying that maybe sounds kind of strange because it sounds like I'm just trying to make money over my listeners to a certain extent, maybe, but not <laughs> to, it's not to like, you know, pull out people's wallets or anything like that. It's more like, how can I sustain that which I truly love, which is this show, which is this podcast, which is the conversations with people that are serving my listeners how can I build something that can help you, my listener, support me so that I can continue serving you, right? So how can I help you help me serve you? Which is a very weird tongue twister in itself, but that is the essence of a creator's economy. So, you know, we're giving birth to this subset of internet citizens that are able to create things uh, for the benefit of everybody and it's a win-win situation. So it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to go against it, but I can yeah. see that there could be some, uh, some heat uh, picking up. Like, are you, are you, are you truly serving society and stuff like that? But other than that, I think uh, I have high hopes for people, especially podcasters. I love seeing paid podcasters. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the patron type thing or the Patreon thing. I've never known how you really pronounce it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the whole like, um, one of my favorite examples of it, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is Critical Role. Have you, have you seen? Ah. Yeah. It's basically a, a D&D, a Dungeons & Dragons podcast slash YouTube show, which is huge now. And they're, they're supported purely to make the thing that they enjoy making. And I, I don't think there's... I don't think there's any purer way really to, to kind of make money rather than directly from your fans. It's just so, so joyous. They, they're paying you because they want you to keep doing the thing that you're doing. And it's just so direct and beautiful. And that, that's really what it's all about. I don't think, yes, you are asking, well, yeah, for some, you are asking them to pay money, but they're more than willing to pay money. It's like when, when any of my friends make a new product on, on Twitter or whatever, you know, be it a PDF or a course or whatever, I'm buying it because I'm 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 supporting them. I, w- I want to see them succeed. I'm supporting their creations. Uh, it's it's exactly the same way. It's just ma- making money in one sense and then putting it back into your friends' pockets. That's and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what makes it work. That it's that mindset that feels that people want to pay you money. That's the essence yes. of it, like the secret behind it. So if anyone who is like wanting to dive into the creator's economy, you have to first serve the economy first by creating what you truly love and just seeing 
and finding you know your first 1000 true fans or uh, or in terms of quality the true 100 fans who will buy anything and everything uh, that will support you cuz you know sometimes it's 1000 fans that are paying you 10 dollars a month or something like that that's more than enough to feel you know what you currently need right now or what if it's a hundred fans or a hundred people who are so loyal to everything that you do that they are willing to pay big bucks to keep you alive, to keep you creating, to keep you conversing with them, to keep you doing stuff that thrills them, excites them. And you don't even have to ask. That's the best part, right? You don't even have to ask. If you set up the right models, right? If you set up a Patreon already, if you set up like a Supercast premium feed for your podcast, if you do like a memberful, like membership private community or something like that, or like a visualized value, something like that, you know? More than enough, you set it up there. People who want to pay for it will pay for it um, rather than actually actively trying to build something that would, get into people's feeds through SEO, et cetera. So it's a beautiful thing. We are in very interesting times despite the pandemic. Uh, and especially because of lockdown, more people are willing to tap into that, right? Like a lot more podcasts are popping up because of lockdown. A lot more people are trying to create new PDFs or paid products, just as you said. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a new generation of, of creators in general. Love it. I, I remember when I first started my first podcast in 2017 and nobody listened to it. I had probably one or two downloads every single episode. And then three or four years later, now in 2020, when I started this stupid mates podcast that I did where we discussed music, it, it was at 10, 15, 20 downloads per episode straight away. And I wasn't promoting it through Twitter, so it wasn't through that audience or anything. But the the market has definitely shifted for podcasts. It, it seems easier to to build a podcast, especially if it's funny or it's good or whatever. It it feels easier to build a podcast now. Um, I haven't got any of the figures, but it must have gone up, right? Podcasting must have gone up during lockdown. Not just people making it, but people listening to them, right? Yeah, um, it spiked up definitely ever since lockdown happened. Uh, I think lockdown happened for when when you would try to compare it globally. It it you know it, people are at different stages at the time, many different countries. But if we're talking about last year. I think it's, it's early twenty like, twenty, really, wasn't it? Yeah, early twenty twenty. Yeah, that's that's around the right time. Um, I did a keynote about this actually. The opportunities around podcasting or podcast freelancing because so many people are, are diving into podcasts. So let, let, let's set the scene because with all with lockdown happening and people are stuck at home, people are working from home. It's not only the rise in independent podcasters, which are, you know, which consists of people who, who seek podcasting as a potential hobby, right? Just like their Sardo kits or knitting or something like that, right? Yeah. There's also podcasting. That's also another avenue. Sardo kits, I have no clue why people suddenly are very, very interested in that. Like, I don't know why. Let's just put that aside, but focusing on podcasting. Uh, a lot of independent podcasters are just basically friends that are just setting up, setting up shows. And that's perfectly fine. Like you're just having so much fun. Doesn't matter if you get five, six, seven lessons per episode. Are you having fun? That's your metric of success, right? That's beautiful. But on a larger scale, because of people being forced to work from home, 
a lot of companies are also expanding towards podcasting as another channel to grow their audience, right? People have less exposure to physical realms of advertising. That's one example. Or people are, have their routines disrupted. So they lost their commuting times, which means that their routines for normally listening to podcasts is just gone. Your commuting is just your bed to your laptop or your PC, which isn't really that long. I don't know about you, like mine is like 10 seconds. And for some people it's just five, right? It's just yeah. the same brew, right? So with things like this disrupted, for the podcaster to maybe expect their listens to drop because of the pandemic, it, it's, it, it's true. It has dropped for maybe one or two months. It takes a while for the listener to adapt. And once the listener has adapted, I think in like April, April, May, it spiked up. So there was one, a change in the average number of minutes of podcast consume per day. As a result of people being forced to work from home, that means that for those who have family or for those who lack less privacy or like have less privacy because of other members within the, within the house, then that means there's less opportunity to listen to a podcast, which means that people are favoring shorter podcast episodes. That's as a result of the pandemic. I think that was quite consistent until like Q3, Q4 of last year. Until then, people have already figured out what's the best routine to listen to their podcast. Because of course, a lot of long form podcasts like one hour or one hour and a half, they still thrived because they they shifted. A lot of the larger podcasts had to ways to try and find a way to monetize, for example, or they started to do summary episodes. So they cut off one hour episodes and they cut it off and repurposed it into smaller five minute bits or 10 minute bits and put it in the same feed because instead of listening to the entirety of the one hour conversation, what if I just give you the best parts of last week's episode? Right, that's one example. We're seeing that a lot more. But all in all, because of the lockdown, yes, we're seeing more indies. And yes, we're seeing more corporate podcasts or branded podcasts. But a lot of these indies, once if they don't get past the one month test, they, they pod fade before episode nine. And episode nine, episode 10 is the barrier to get you past, I think it's, and don't quote me on this. I think it's like 40% or 50% greater percentile over the other podcasts that have faded, that have stopped. So if you're past, if you're episode 10 and over, you're doing better than nearly half the podcasts that are existing in the world. And we are at, I think, 1.9 million podcasts right now. So if you're starting now and you want to beat a million podcasts, yeah, get to episode 10 and episode 11 and I will recognize you as a fellow podcaster. <laughs> well, this is episode 199. So, my god. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> but and, and uh, probably what makes it even worse is that majority of those episodes were me just talking into a mic. There's only 20 of those I think that are actually a conversation. <laughs> Which, uh, okay. which is in some ways even crazier because to maintain myself talking to myself for 150 odd episodes or something like that is 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 crazy 
I, I think I, I still think the thing about podcasting though and still the thing that a lot of people aren't that aren't really capitalizing on because they don't have a podcast and this is why I always tweet have you started a podcast yet is because I feel like it's the only medium that's truly on demand that you can consume almost no matter what you were doing. So you can turn on a podcast and go for a run or go for a walk or do the dishes or make food or just, I don't know why you'd want to do this, but sit in front of the TV and listen to a podcast. You can literally almost do anything whilst listening to a podcast. You can't do that with nearly any other medium that exists. So it's it's one of those mediums that when you make that connection with a listener, and we discussed this slightly last time, when you make that connection with a listener, it isn't like any other connection. In that sense, it's like radio. There isn't any other connection. The voice, the, just the voice. When somebody comes to know your voice, that is it. You've got them. They're hooked. It doesn't matter what podcast you end up doing or where you move to. You have them hooked in a way that you cannot hook them with your words, with your face, with your videos, anything else, because you're in their ears. You're in the brain. It's different. It's different. They become a member of your house when you start listening to them as you do your chores as you're doing the dishes, as you're taking care of the dogs, as you're going for a walk, as you're mopping the floor, as you're doing whatever it is you're doing while you're in the house. The more that you have accepted that part of your routine, whether it's throughout the week, to know or to have an alert that your favorite show is out on Tuesday afternoon or something like that, and you try to actually work your routine around that because you want to listen to the latest episode, that, that person has become a part of your life because you've chosen to hear just one voice consistently each and every week. That's, yeah. that's amazing, right? That's like, that's like subscribing to a friend who will tell you about what you're interested in each and every week. Yeah. There's nothing more, there's nothing more intimate than that. And there's really nothing more natural and humane than the medium of audio, especially when it's on demand. So it's asynchronous, humane connection. The, mm. the difference between doing this and say blogging is that the person has to be in a position where they can read. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you're not blocked by, you know, any physical impediments. Like you're not, you're not like, I, I can't, blog like read blogs while doing the dishes actually i can i mean you gotta set the ipad up in a very a strange way but then it's highly unlikely people are not going to be doing that yeah. uh, i can't read a blog while driving a car i can't read a blog while while walking the dogs you know there's some parts that that require active attention whereas passive attention still is connection to a certain degree and it's low barrier connection it's it's really really low barrier like even like, like you just said just now, like you're just doing a podcast about talking about music with your friend. Even that warrants enough of my time that I'm willing to do part of my chores around the house that I want to listen to that while doing the things on my own end. And that's worth my time. Like I want to do that. And that's the best part about listeners. Listeners choose their podcasts. And if they choose yours, you have the responsibility 
of filling up their routine for the week with whatever it is that you're talking about. So, you know, when, <laughs> whenever I see those tweets of yours, it's like, have you started podcast yet? And it, was, it became quite regular. I was like, okay, yeah. there's a, there's a plan here. There's an intention and I see it and I see it. Um, uh, I've just me trolling. I've, uh, sorry. Just me trolling basically. <laughs> I've seen, um, I, I get a lot of, uh, moments where people reach out to me and say like, how do you, how do you start a show? How do you start a podcast? And I, I consult them, right? I've been doing these like free 30 minute consultations just with people. Mm. And it's really, really fun when you set those consultations as, as free 30 minutes. I do a lot of podcasts. What do you want to know? And it feels like Shark Tank. It's very, very fascinating. <laughs> I think you should try it sometime. It's just 30 minutes yeah. or maybe even less, right? Just 30 minutes. And you ask them, what are you working on? What's your show? And they will pitch to you everything all about the podcast. And I feel like, I feel like I'm a judge or something. I feel like I'm at the voice. I have to like, you know, give critical, like constructive criticism or something like that. And it's just really fun to, to go back and forth on their idea without them even starting on it yet. Yeah. And part of the reason why I actually brought up that consultation in the first place, that, that opportunity is because people who want to start a show, who are, who know like the, the power of podcasting, they have this idea, they still have hesitation. They still want reassurance. And when I put them on the spot by them booking a time with me and they're like pitching it. And then I'm like, okay, you got to watch out for this. Okay. Be careful about this topic. Okay. What about this format? Okay. What about this? And then they're like, oh, okay. Someone is taking my idea seriously and they're giving me professional advice. And if I actually use this advice and actually apply it, I can have this show that I've had in my head and it will be published that, that, that handholding during those 30 minutes can be more than enough for them to take the first step. And that's such a beautiful thing. I love it. Like I love seeing these shows like come into life. So like I do those consultations. It's just really, really fun. <laughs> I think it'd probably make a good podcast to actually have people on it and get them to pitch oh, the podcast yeah. ideas. This is how you're on oh. your first podcast. Come on my podcast where you pitch your podcast and then we'll get you on your first podcast and we can talk about it. Oh, okay. That that's that you give me a good idea. I think I can I think I can explore that. And it'll be like an on-demand show because I, I can't think of a weekly frequency. So I, I can't be bothered with that. I'm not sure about, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you view frequency as like a good way to maintain consistency. consistency. Yeah. I don't actually, I don't really care that much about frequency. I'm not um, that bothered about it with podcasting. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. The, my only obsession with frequency is when I'm learning something and there's certain things that I think should be done regularly so for example writing tweets every day i write them every day podcasting is different i i couldn't i know personally i couldn't keep up with a daily podcasting show i do follow a couple of podcasts that are daily and i'd i don't listen to them all because you just can't get through them so with podcasting yeah definitely not i, I wouldn't i wouldn't think it needs to be daily at all or even weekly i'm, I'm not precious about that it's purely for me learning something. I think the best way to learn something is to do it daily. Yeah. 
to build the skill up as quickly as possible and then you can drop back off on it later on and i i think that there's this kind of two ways you can produce things not just podcasts really anything else other than podcasts when you're making something daily it's always at the front of your mind which means that the skill is always fresh so you're never forgetting about how to do something if you set three hours on a Sunday to do something, say it's writing a blog post, for example, if you set that that time aside, three hours on a Sunday, for me personally, it feels like the skill gets distant and you get worse at it somehow because you're only doing it once a week. And then if, if the day messes up or whatever, it's two weeks before you know it. So that's why I often approach things daily, one, for learning, but two, because I know that, my days are crazy and I wouldn't stick to a schedule. I, I can't stick to any other kind of schedule other than daily, it, other than the podcast that I'm doing right now. And that's only because I've got guests on it. If I didn't have a guest, I probably wouldn't stick to this either. <laughs> now that works really well because you've already set your intention in terms of daily or how you view daily, right? If it's to, yeah. if it's to grow the, 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 the habit of learning, requires that level of frequency like to respect your ability to learn requires that frequency and i and i get it and for podcasting you know people are quite forgiving of that even if we're not that consistent like that consistency uh i'm not that consistent with a lot of my shows i run three interview shows and two of them are on pause right so i i wait i work on room fm right now and i'm building season two and I have two others that uh, are on pause at the moment. One of them is on season three, but it's like three episodes into season three and I've just paused it. I pause it because I don't want to work on it at the moment. And that's perfectly fine. The biggest reason why is because, and I am a huge proponent of this, the future of podcast growth is omni-channel marketing. So frequency should not be one of the primary factors in growing your show. If you're doing omni-channel marketing for your podcast, you should be up and about on social media, talking to your listeners, talking to your fans, etc. So if say you are doing your show and you're very, very active on Twitter and you don't always have an episode out every week, I still think you are podcasting if you're tweeting all the time Mm. about things related to your show, I still think you are podcasting that way. And the reason why is because you have a number of people who will follow you no matter what medium you are in. You may have a base primary like content workflow or like a core, which is the podcast, assuming say it's like one hour conversations between other people. Sure, that's okay. But what is the percentage of people actually listening throughout all uh, the entirety of the one hour conversation. A lot of people drop off after the first five minutes. If you don't capture them in the first five minutes, they're not gonna follow. And you're not gonna get to the good bits if you just drop off after five minutes. So not everybody has the patience for that. But if you show how valuable you are, no matter what social media channel, no matter if it's a newsletter, no matter if it's a blog as well, parallel with your podcast, omni-channel marketing is basically showing just how how amazing you are as a brand, as a person to follow, as as an impression, 
that listeners, followers, and fans can create their own impression of you, yet they will assign you as a podcaster because that is your first primary uh, medium of choice, right? So a lot of people would be focusing on downloads per episode or a lot of people would be focusing on, oh, why am I not getting enough ratings or something like that? Yes, ratings are great. Ratings actually do help a lot. I, I do agree with that, but you should not obsess with listens. You should not obsess with listener stats. You shouldn't obsess with demographics. Like I'm based in Malaysia and I have like six shows and all of them, 40, 50% of them, the listeners are American. I've yeah. never been to the US ever in my life. So <laughs> I don't think I know any of these listeners. So shout out to them. I really do appreciate their amazing listenership up, up until now. But despite the, the lack of frequency, I still get listeners and I still get, I still get engagement. I still get conversations. It still works up until now. So for those who are starting a show, don't worry so much about crafting your podcast to perfection. Worry about what are you doing in between your podcasts? I think that's much more important because that is what sustains the growth of the podcast. Yeah. There are spikes in growth and there are sustains in growth. I 100% agree because the, the way that I approached my podcast and I tweeted about this a while ago was this idea of developing a 360 degree personality. So people read your writing, see your face in videos and hear your voice. I think it's important for somebody to connect to you. They need to see every aspect of your personality. And if you can do that, they'll follow along with whatever you're doing. And the, the other sideways point as well is that not everybody likes podcasts. So yep. if you go all in on a podcast and a person doesn't listen to it, to be honest, most of my friends still don't listen to podcasts. They've never heard any of the podcasts that I've done. If you're in the situation where you're going all in on a podcast, you're losing probably, I don't know, this is literally just a percentage that I'm pulling out of my ass. You're losing <laughs> 50 or 60% of your potential market. But, you, you know, you are. I think that's a conservative guess to say one in two people don't listen to podcasts. And if you're focusing so much on it like that, you are missing out on a lot of potential. So, yeah, I see it the other way too. I podcast and I say I am a podcaster but it isn't the only thing I do. In fact, it's the least frequent thing that I do do, but I enjoy doing the podcasting. And this is the way that I look at it. It doesn't matter if a podcast episode gets five downloads or 500, but what I've done by making the podcast is I've made a piece of content that somebody can come back to in the future whenever they feel like it. This is the on-demand thing. I am building a library of content that somebody can come back to whenever they want. And I've had it happen so many times. They find me on Twitter. They go, oh, you've got a podcast. They go listen to an episode from 100 episodes ago and say, oh, I found that episode really useful. And then they listen to another episode, maybe this one that we're recording right now. And what they do is work their way back through them over time. I don't care about the live thing. I don't care about right now in this moment all the listeners for this episode even though we're live, honestly, the only reason we're live is because it cheats the algorithm. 
<laughs> and it's and it's a fun challenge and I like challenges. So I, I completely agree with you. Podcasting shouldn't be the main focus. Even though it's fun, it still isn't mainstream. Will it ever become mainstream? That's probably another question to ask. I'm not sure it will. Will it ever become mainstream? I'd say no. I, I would I would say no. Now we would have a lot of mainstream shows. Mm. We would have a lot of mainstream brands. They would be known as podcasts. I would say the medium itself will not be mainstream. And I think that is because in the audio space, in the audio format, we have one big uh, one big brother to handle, and that is radio. The radio still has majority percentage market share in terms of person who wants to listen to something, right? The very first thing they would go to is that they would trust a broadcast company way over the average Joe that is, you know, just two blocks down the street with a blue Yeti facing the other way. (laughs) Um, And that's, and that's perfectly fine. That's just, that's just how it is naturally. But we, we only have up to 2 million shows right now. And I'm saying we only have 2 million shows. Yes, that's very, very little. Very, very little. Like we're still in the early stages of podcasting, even though it's been like what? Um, I think uh, podcasting started 03, 04, I believe, uh, uh, feed number one. So let's just assume wow. 04. So that's like 17 years already. So yeah. 17 years and 2 million shows. Now I say 2 million shows is pretty low because yeah. I compare that with, and you know, I might as well, Craig, I might as well ask you this. How many YouTube channels do you think there are in the world? Oh, f- <laughs> a billion. Right. A, a billion, right? Okay, just think of a number, right? Just pull a number out of your ass, right? <laughs> I, I don't know the number as well, but I would assume a bajillion, right? Like a, yeah. a ton, right? Uh, maybe, you know, 20, 50 million, I don't know, right? That's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of voices out there, a lot of video channels or a lot of YouTubers, right? Trying to make it. They're trying to be part of the creator economy, basically, right? Compare that with, how about this? What's the number for the number of blogs in the world? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I it's seem, even more. I seem to remember that being 25 million or 50 million or something like that. Okay, right. 50 million blogs with however many articles. I'll we Google don't it. know however many articles, right? Bajillion. And then I'm going to search for that number right now. But compare all of these, right? These are mediums of conveying a message. And compare that with 2 million shows. It sounds pathetic, <laughs> the number of shows, actually. So we are in the early stages. If anyone's wanting to start a show, you're, you're in the right place, right? You're just setting the foundation for, for future listeners who want to discover you through your old episodes or through your lives or through the hard work that you're doing, talking about these things on Twitter or on Facebook or on LinkedIn or on Instagram. And they may want to listen to you or experience the messages that you're conveying through their preferred medium. Maybe a picture on Instagram that is talking about something on your podcast. There has been talks or at least I've had a few conversations with a few podcasters who have a dedicated Instagram following because they like to consume their podcast through summaries on Instagram. And they would actually DM the podcast account and be like, hey, I don't really listen to your show, but I really enjoy the summaries on your Instagram. Keep going and I really support you. That counts as a listener. Yeah, they're not listening to your podcast, but that's a fan. That, that's a human going out of their way to DM you and say, 
I love your show. Respect that. And if you're going to do your podcast, hey, explore other mediums as well. And, you know, make that, make, make that content web that results in your name. Because if you're able to do that, I think you're going to be this amazing omnichannel podcaster that's just going to thrive no matter what medium. And, and that way you can pretty much share the workload in terms of what kind of content you'd be creating and then just enjoy the conversational part of it for the podcast even more. Because maybe you might not be a great writer. You might not be a great designer. You might not be a great illustrator. But if you're willing to do all that work, if you're willing to struggle through that, you're going to enjoy the best part about podcasting and that is having amazing conversations. I, I, uh, oh, by the way, it's 500 million blogs. So, oh my God. <laughs> so I was way, way off, but 500 million. Uh, I, I call this idea of having multiple things, content satellites. I've made a video on YouTube about it before. And it's this idea that you have multiple brands, basically, that you've got. You've got you that's sat in the middle, and that might be your Twitter channel, for example. And you, you have one stream where everything's pulling into it. So on my Twitter, I've got the podcast going live right now. I've got the visuals that I make. I've got the daily visual community. I've got the book. I've got the tweets, and I've got the uh, the essays, blah, 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 blah. Everything gets pulled into the Twitter feed. But each individual one of those things is basically a satellite of content that you could go away and consume by itself without ever really having to watch everything that I do or do everything that I do so that the podcast sits elsewhere somewhere you could just follow the podcast the YouTube channel sits somewhere else you could just watch the YouTube channel for example so it's this idea of building up all these little pots of content little satellite channels little TV channels everywhere else that doesn't sit directly on you and you know the reason to do that is the thing that you said meet the person where they're at right now you know you've you've got to meet them where they're at some people don't like listening some people prefer watching some people prefer reading you have to have every single one of those things if you want to capture somebody across all of those markets and build something out of the other end it's hard but it's better than just having a podcast and then we sat here talking about why you should start a podcast and now we're saying well maybe you should start everything else instead of a podcast <laughs> or make one podcast episode and do everything else as well be a creator guys that's that that's that's the that's that's the lesson right be a creator i mean you're, you're going to use you're going to focus on one medium anyway but there's you're going to have a primary medium people are going to follow you for one specific medium the most right so for us it's going to be behind a bike because we prefer using our voices to convey our messages and building that web, the, those satellites, uh, the, as you mentioned. And I did watch the video, which is pretty fantastic in itself. Uh, I call it a web because you're building a web to try to capture these people. And once they are captured, they can't escape. Not that it, it, it sounds kind of <laughs> evil, but it, it's just to, it's a trap. <laughs> it comes <laughs> trap. Uh, <laughs> you can never leave. It's like Ikea after like three weeks or something. Yeah. Um, if you, if you bring them in, then you're in that web and every angle around you is more content for me related to what you've just consumed, related to what you've just listened to, what you've watched, etc. 
And yes, managing a lot of that is hard, but I think that's part of building that overall impression that you want people to hold so that you have the you have this loyal audience that you can take with you no matter what you're doing, no matter what part of the web you're on, no matter what satellite you're building. And this brings up uh, something that uh, I've just seen on Twitter at Brian Ball just gave me a prompt uh, to prepare for this talk. I thought that maybe you and I can talk about this. He says, maybe you can talk about how work gets messy in the middle and then exactly what it takes to clean it up prior to shipping. And I'm curious about your take on this, uh, the way that I would take it or the way that I would handle this is from building that web, you're going to have some imperfections when it comes to writing a post or making a video. It's not going to be, you know, crystal clear video or you're going to have some mistakes in your post, yet you're still going to focus on your podcast. The work can get messy in the middle when it comes to building all these things. The way that I would clean it up is just to accept those imperfections. Like the people who are consuming your stuff is they're human. They don't mind. They know that you're doing so much. So they would accept it. Uh, So it's a lot of reframing from my end that imperfections and failures can happen and they can easily be edited later on in the future. So there's no problem uh, for me there. But uh, Craig, what's your take on this? I I like to think of perfection as kind of a, a graph on and on one end you've got 100% perfection on the other end you've got something you've thrown out in 3 seconds and the further you move to the left of zero perfection the more you can get out the more you can build the more you can build a brand the more you can build awareness and as you move further and further to the to the other side of 100% perfection whatever that means you get nothing done and you procrastinate on a project for weeks and you're tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And when you focus too much on the perfection, it forgets about the thing that really matters and it's just the message. It's the content. It, it, it doesn't matter on the quality of it. If the words or the voice or the, you know, the image or whatever it is, if the message is there, that's really all that matters. It could be filmed on an iPhone or it could be filmed on a, well, it couldn't be filmed on a Nokia 3310, but it could be filmed <laughs> on a very, very crappy device. doesn't matter what it looks like. It is purely about the message. Look at Gary V's stuff. When he first did Daily V, it was just a handheld camera that was crap. The quality was rubbish. The yep. audio was rubbish. Even now, often his podcast audio quality is terrible because it's mixed media from conferences and from him walking down the street and all, and it's all mashed together and it's the audio levels are up and down and all that kind of thing, but the quality of it doesn't matter because he's got a message to say. So I constantly try to forget about perfection and it's partly why I make things so quickly so I can move on to the next thing. I am terrible at making things perfect because I don't enjoy the tweaking process and I don't enjoy making something better. I enjoy just putting it out there. I rush to get something out there as soon as possible. So perfection for me isn't so much of a concern and and it's a weakness really for me. Yeah. I, I launch before it's 
way before it's perfect. You know, it'll never get perfect when I do it. I just do it because I want to make it. Yeah. And I still have trouble with this and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a saint and say, I've never, I've never had problems with perfectionism because I still have problems with it. Now I have moments of hesitation when I want to release something like a post or a blog post. Like the last time that I actually wrote a giant blog post, it's like 7,000 words long, even though I could have just stopped at 3000, but I was like, Oh, I could still write a bit more. I could still write a bit more. I could still write a bit more. And the next thing you know, it's just this giant bloated up blog post on how I take notes, right? It's just insane. Um, and, and I justified it by saying that I found it fun to write that much. And it was right. I, I was, it was true. Like I, I did, but I could have created something and be okay with it like halfway through. It would have worked fine. Like it would have been fine. I needed to keep reminding myself that it's fine if it's not perfect. Like if it's good, it's fine. Like good is fine. I need to keep reminding myself of that. Mm. You put a poster of that somewhere on there. Uh, but you know, uh, it's a lesson that we have to learn uh, each and every single time. And I applaud you for for not even having perfectionism uh, er, like relevant <laughs> to to your mindset when it comes to creating things, because uh, that is something that I have to learn a lot from you. It's because I've beaten it out of myself, though. That that's why. And I think good is fine is a really important thing. And I'd go f- one further and say good is done, or mm. average is done just enough is done whatever it is just enough than bad is done and then you yeah. move on to the next thing there's always an option to do a revision but if you don't get to the first thing if you don't hit the publish button in the first place you don't get the chance to revise it because it sits in the drafts for another year and i i purely i've beaten it out of myself through years and years and years of of doing things daily and now sounding like a broken record saying things like doing things daily like it's the magic sauce to doing everything but pretty but pretty much that is where i beat out of myself because when i first did uh, my very first daily challenge with my boss at my first job i was spending an hour and a half two hours on these posters every day and it, it was all right for me to do that. Then I was 18 and playing with my MySpace page in CSS. So I had, I had nothing else to do. So I was spending two hours on these posters every day because I wanted them to be perfect. And you know what happened? Yeah. That time probably passed 15 minutes. From 15 minutes to two hours, nothing got better. And it never did. It got worse. Uh-huh. The tweaking, the tweaking, and tweaking, and tweaking. You go past a point of no return where you're like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna post it. I don't care if it looks shit." But all you've done since 15 minutes to two hours is just make it worse and make yourself feel worse, and you get stuck in this crazy loop of tweaking and trying to make it better and it just getting worse. So I was like that for maybe 50. 50 days of a 365-day challenge. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to go mental before I've finished if I keep doing this. And then I started setting time limits and getting quicker and getting quicker and quicker and realizing that what really made me spend too much time on it was being too ambitious with the idea in the first place. 
I, I was trying to make a, you know, a perfect poster, whatever that means, which meant that my standards were so high. Well, really, it's all about the idea and coming back again to the message. What's the message that I'm trying to say? And how can I say it as quick as possible with as least amount of design? And that's how I got to 15 years later doing the unobvious images, where some of them like literally take me two minutes. And the majority of them aren't that good. But it's the idea that matters. And if that idea sucks, then I'm moving on to the next idea. I, I kind of compartmentalize it's almost like atomic ideas everything that i do is an atomic idea just like the atomic essay i never really write much more than 200 words i never do the visual equivalent of more than 200 words the only thing i do do is the podcast which is an hour and a bit long depending on how long we talk for but it's streamed <laughs> it's streamed live and the only effort i have to do is output the audio from this and put it live and i don't do anything else with it other than maybe snip some bits out of it so everything i, I look at it is is just doing it as quick as possible as simple as possible to get it out there and that's hard for a lot of people right because you want to make something that's good quote-unquote good you want to make something that is going to wow people or it's this going to get a lot of likes or that's going to make you famous or, or all that kind of thing but you're probably not there yet and that's the other hard thing to learn that you probably haven't done enough reps to even be anywhere close to making something that probably would be of quality like that and it always makes me wonder sometimes with something like Seth Godin, for example. Yeah. With his daily blog that he's been doing for years now. And really, has he got better in terms of the daily blog? Just, you know, park the books on the side for a minute. But we're just talking about the daily blog posts. Has Seth really got better or has his popularity for the blog specifically increased because of his consistency, because he's there every day, because somebody's become part of his routine, because he is a household name now. And most of his blog posts, even today, aren't that perfect. He still is a, is a multi-award winning author and his blogs aren't perfect. Mm. But he hits publish every day, so he keeps, he keeps the momentum. So I wonder whether it's his consistency that's made him famous or his quality. Something I think about a lot. It, it's also how he's framing the craft of writing as well. Because when it comes to writing the books, that's earned multiple awards. These are like some of the big names when it comes to published books. And then when it comes to daily blogging, a multi-award winning writer has the mindset of just enough is fine. Mm. That says something, right? Yeah. Like it, it means that he himself has set expectations. He's not trying to win awards with his daily blog. We have to understand that. And he's been writing consistency, like cons consistently, oh, this lack of sleep is getting to me, consistently <laughs> every day for so long on his daily blog that people have come to his blog to not 
to not follow the quality of his insight, but rather the consistency of his craft. Yeah, it's a huge distinction there. So we follow that blog out of respect for this man's thinking, and he's able to do it every single day, right? Just like what you're doing, right? If I follow you for your visuals each and every single day, I'm not asking you to paint the Jackson Pollock every single day, but the fact that you're able to show up and actually create something that is, you know, atomic, small, concise enough that 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 readers and viewers who like that specific format can expect that of you and can you can meet that for them, then you can build a relationship that way. And I think Seth has just been has just been doing that just out of the love for writing atomically and also out of the love of being able to do um, just to be at the PC and just to arrive at the screen and type away his thoughts and then post it immediately. Mm. I mean, I, I'm really envious. Like I really want to build that as well. And I'm, I'm slowly embracing that when it comes to, you know, posting notes up or writing imperfect posts or uh, writing even just bullet points. You know, I have some posts that are just bullet points. It's just like, hey, I thought about this. I had this question. Okay, done. And I was just happy. <laughs> I was just, I was just great. I was just best, best uh, metric of success is just how, how wide was my smile when I post that up? I was just really happy with it. <laughs> I think it gets easier over time for me because I understand how ideas work. I do it professionally for a living. I make ideas. People pay me for ideas. And... It doesn't matter whether somebody pays me 12 grand, 20 grand, 100 grand, what I wish 100 grand, but it, or 500 quid. It doesn't matter how much they pay me. The idea happens just as quickly or yep. ju- just as slowly or, or whatever. And often the idea that you come up with in the first 15 minutes is the best idea you're going to come up with. But then you spend, particularly as a designer, you spend three weeks justifying the cost to make a lot of worse ideas. So you can go to the client and say, we've explored all the ideas. And you don't usually tell them that the first idea you came up with in 15 minutes was the idea that they ended up getting. And it, that, that kind of relates to the idea of publishing regularly or, or making anything regularly or being out in public regularly. What I found as I train the idea muscle more and more and more every day, the the flaw of that quality of those ideas just keeps increasing to the point where it takes me a couple of minutes to come up with an idea that might take somebody else a couple of days. But that's just normal for me because I, I, I make them so quickly and I've, I've done it for 15 years. So it isn't often really that the quality is better it's just it's quicker and i and i'm willing to accept the first thing that comes into my head and know from my gut and from my experience that that's probably going to be the best thing that i come up with and just run with it and maybe there's something about the confidence in that too the the fact that i don't that i don't care and other people who do the same thing don't care they know it's just and i think people can read that too they know it's to you, it's just another idea. It's just another idea in, it, in, it, 
I, an infinite amount of ideas. It isn't the last thing that you're ever going to do. Yeah, creating with instinct is a skill that heavily needs to be cultivated, especially when when you create with instinct, there is no hesitation at all. But it's just the embodiment of this is the idea, it works, let's go with it. And then your the entirety of your body says, yes, done, go, right? Yeah. So all of that burst of energy right there in the first 15 minutes. I, I, I get that a lot, especially when it comes to conversations when I hear an insight, an anecdote, some kind of life lesson, etc. And my the format that that comes up in my head when that happens is normally a question or normally some kind of insight in response to someone's insight. So that burst, maybe for you it's 15 minutes, for me it's like five. There's that burst of my mind going into high gear as I'm replying back and then letting out my thoughts and slowly taking my time to articulate and let the breath out and letting the thoughts out slowly so that I can try my best to actually say out what the hell my brain is saying. Because at that point, I have to trust and I want to, I want to trust the very first thing that comes to my head when in response to hearing something that's just so amazing that I just want to be part of that experience. And if the entirety of my body wants to be part of the experience, my instinct should be doing the same thing as well. And it should be doing the right things. There's no way my instinct would betray me and just say something completely inappropriate. Although I, I, I do have those, those moments, like just like a really crass joke or something like that. I don't know. But like, other than that, putting that aside, other than that, the ability to try to, intercept that energy and then actually make the most of it by bringing in something that way. I think, uh, yeah, uh, instinct is going to be a really big one when it comes to being a creator. So, and, and that's where my energy comes from. That, that, that's it. That's right there. It's acting on that instinct over and over and over every day, multiple times a day. And it mm-hmm. give, gives you confidence, gives you energy. And it's like a, a just a pure, a pure form of creating, a pure form of being in the moment, first idea, boom, create it. Uh, it's it's a very pure way of of making something. We haven't got around to talking pol- t- about polymaths again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm very aware we've gone an hour and 17 minutes and you're probably starting to wane and want to go to sleep. <laughs> Uh, I I was getting there. I'm 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 starting to get worried about my the slurring of my voice. Uh, so um, I, I do I do. I mean, we we maybe maybe not able to like full on talk about polymaths, but I I do just want to bring up something. Uh, I I have been writing a lot of posts about polymaths for the past few years, and I've been reading the reading the journal articles on polymathic studies and, and getting in touch with the researchers on, you know, what makes great polymathic thinking? How do you integrate between domains, fields, etc.? How do you tap into the creative mind? What, what are the skills that you need? What are the environments that can allow you to embrace polymathic thinking? How does one become a polymath? And, you know, all these kinds of questions. And, and maybe we can save this for another time. I'm not, I'm not sure, maybe. But, but 
first of all, it's hard to it's hard to break away from that image that as soon as you find this interesting word, you want to become that word. Oh, this, you know, a polyoff is someone who is well-versed in many different fields. I am well-versed in many different fields, or at least I'm interested in it. Therefore, I am a polymath. It's very easy to default to that kind of behavior. And I like to challenge that for anyone who's listening right now. Please do not call yourself a polymath. Do not betray yourself by defaulting towards a label. A polymath or polymathic thinking is a state of mind not a noun. It's not a job. It's not a position. It's not a being that you become. Polymathic thinking is a state and you can cultivate that state, right? It's not like you can just call yourself a singer and all of a sudden you are a singer. Like if you sing in a shower and all of a sudden you're like, hey, yeah, I'm a singer because I sing in the shower. You can't do that. That's not, that's not how labels work, right? Nouns do not work that way, especially in polymathic thinking. So do not think of polymaths or the world of polymathy as this aspiring figure that I must become, but rather ask the right questions to yourself. How can I make the most of the current domains that I'm studying in and break down the barriers between them? Because all forms of arts and sciences are one and the same. And the only commonality and the only glue between them together or putting them together is myself. So what kind of glue do I want to be to connect these fields, these frameworks and everything. And this is when you can have a lot of fun with it, right? To become polymathic. I like, one of the things I like to do is actually looking at architectural blueprints. And I have no background in architecture. I have no interest in that. I'm, I have no interest in like building a house or anything like that. But I like looking at blueprints and seeing the different, the, the different angles, the different tensions between different houses and see if I can apply that, that level of craft towards another field. So how can I embody architectural thinking in podcasting, for example? What do you think would be the best way to do that? At least for me, I can become the architect of my own voice as I'm podcasting. Slow down, embrace silence. And if I want to make a point, only a few words at a time. Reducing your tone, reducing and lowering the bass on your voice, and you make your point. I am taking parts of my observations in looking at buildings, looking at how bridges are made and the meticulousness of engineering to put into podcasting. That's an example of generalist or polymathic thinking. So for anyone who's thinking about it right now, if you stumble upon the word and you find it very, very interesting, it's a fun fun thing to dive into. It's a very, very fun topic to dive into. Just remember, you don't just become a polymathic. You train yourself to be polymathic. So don't be the noun, be the verb. So, or the adjective rather. I'm going to leave it on that. We, okay. we will have that uh, conversation <laughs> at some point, but you, you, you pretty much said everything that I wanted to say. Um, and you're tired and you probably want to go to bed. I can't hear you slurring your words, but it's, it, it's fine. <laughs> uh, oh, it's just the fumes right now. It's that, it's that, it's that high gear thinking, right? You said, you said the word polymath. They got me, it got me thinking. <laughs> I, I get really excited whenever I talk about it and, and 
I think I scare some of the researchers away when I'm like, when I'm like, yeah, I read your 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 papers, right? Remember page thirty two and stuff like that. So, okay. yeah, for another time, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Norm, and let's let's speak again soon. Of course, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. See you soon, man. <laughs>